0: So, hi, Bruno. I think we met the first time. It was, I would say, either the last Java one at Sun Microsystems or it was already Oracle. And I remember you worked either as a freelancer or for a small company, and we had lots of fun. you remember that? It was like, I would say, eight years ago or something like this?
1: I think so. It was, um, I think it was a Java one. Uh, maybe Latin America?
0: No, no, it was San Francisco for sure. And, oh, it was
1: uh, in San Francisco. So it yeah. was. It was definitely 2012. And okay. I was at Oracle already.
0: Oh, because, okay. Because we made lots of fun, and uh, yeah, and uh, and then I met you over and over again. With um, I, I was in contact with you with uh, um, Docker. You were some, somehow involved with Docker, and then Oracle Code and uh and then i met you again at DevOps pl and uh, so we always were in touch as the whole java community so what i would like yep. to know how you started with java so actually your uh, i just uh, t- t- took a brief look at uh, at linkedin so it's actually impressive uh, in how many companies you already worked and everything was java related right
1: indeed yes i i started my career as a developer already uh, writing java code that was early 2000, 2001, and back then I was uh, learning Servlet and building web interface for a desktop Java application. And uh, I, had, I had the idea of building a web interface. And I only, all I had at that time was Servlet and JSP. And frankly, I think it works great. So I uh, had a bunch of fun. And from then, just moving forward, uh, went through several different projects almost all of them in the enterprise um building systems of records uh working with relational databases uh transactions messaging and so on so um it was a uh, a lot of fun for sure as a developer and uh in 2012 uh, as i said i joined oracle as a product manager um for outbound, outbound outbound product management that's how uh, we would say at Oracle. Someone that is in the field doing sales enablement, talking to customers, bringing feedback into the product, and so on. And part of my role is also uh, an evangelist, right? So um, uh, Java EE uh, a lot, logic a lot. And suddenly at Oracle, I saw myself doing Docker files for Oracle products and kicking off the Oracle organization on GitHub and fostering Oracle's contributions through open source on that platform. So it was great uh, for sure. And still like to have a lot of fun with coding. And uh, it's just maybe not a full-time developer job, but in, for sure involves a lot of coding. Well,
0: oh, funny story. Uh, on, on the road or on the way to Java 1 last year, I uh, set up, uh, I think was Oracle XE for my client work in Docker. And I saw lots of commits from, from you, actually, in the airplane. So uh, at the end of the flight, I, I had everything set up. But I said, okay, Bruno worked heavily here. So I saw lots of your you know, <laughs> do, docker, docker contributions, uh, Yeah, how to Dockerize the Oracle XE database. Um,
1: yeah, we did, uh, we, we did lots of Docker files. Uh, they always started uh, with WebLogic. That's where I invested the most. Um, and then working with the Oracle database team, you know, Gerald Venzel, Mm-hmm. Uh, he took almost pretty much all the code that I wrote for WebLogic and then he applied and made some changes for Oracle database. And that's when we started working together. Um, and in the end, uh, we were able to Dockerize uh, lots of Oracle products that many people thought it wouldn't make sense. And it actually does because for developer pr- purposes, it's actually amazing.
0: Yeah, exactly. As is a, as a, it was a very valuable contribution, actually. So, what interests me with your servlets and JSPs? What was it? What you built? What was your first Java project?
1: Um, so, at that time, uh, there is a uh, uh, the the labor office in Brazil had a system, a desktop Java Swing application to track um, all the bureaucracy in the, the labor office, and and uh, basically. Uh, i I realized you know it's it's crap that I have to install this desktop application and uh it would be amazing if I could just go to this website and and do inquiries there a lot of lot there, there were lots of features in the desktop application that would never make sense on a web interface, especially back then uh with the poor integration with devices, printers scanners and so on. So uh, the desktop application still made a lot of sense. And I, I would say it would still make a lot of sense today. Uh, but we wanted to have a, a way to just inquire data and the web interface for that just to take a look at what it's in the database with a nice interface uh, was pretty uh, uh, compelling. And uh, at that time, there was no like major framework. So just build surplus and JSPs and all worked very fine.
0: Mm-hmm. I did something similar. I also used JSPs uh, and servlets, but I, what I also uh, used were Java beans. So back then, you can automatically populate Java beans back and forth directly from JSP. It was like it was a directive use bean or whatever. So you could use uh, Java beans, so the old, not enterprise Java beans, rather than the regular Java beans as right. data, data holders. So this was like a, a pattern back then. Um, so interesting. No, we, and, yeah? Sorry. We, we, we,
1: we use lots of TLDs, remember? Like the t- tech libs?
0: Yeah, yeah, of yeah, of course, uh, JSP. <laughs> but I think uh, as a uh, server-side templating, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced JSP should take off again. So I you know without uh, the logic, but just as a template, uh, this is great. It's as crazy fast as it's very easy to understand. And uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, if, you, if you're creating now uh, React, Vue, or web standards apps, you could still use JSPs to pre-populate some data from, from the server. I actually use it a lot and it works great.
1: You know, I come to the conclusion, uh, and I'm biased, and it's my opinion, but I do believe that frameworks and, and template machines and all of that, uh, they pop up not because someone is trying to make something better or faster. I think it's just because people eventually don't like the existing solutions, and then they decide, I'll do my own, and then suddenly we have like thirty five template engines hmm. <laughs> and and it, that's fine, right? That's fine, and some of them actually may perform better, but uh, I think in the in the great scheme of things, um, it, the, the traditional JSP template engine it's it's indeed it's really fast. you know you get a template, you convert. The compiler will convert into a servlet. Uh, it will just process that right away, and I, I find it super simple and easy to do things. And yeah, I'm not sure why people stopped doing that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure
0: overused, you know, because they they, they implemented the, the whole business logic in JSP. This was the problem. It oh. was just exaggerated. Right, right. Now, yeah. now they have the bad name. This is the problem. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so true. And if you started in the year two thousand, which Java version was it? You can remember JDK
1: one two, probably right. Um, I think it was one three already. Okay, and I think I started in two thousand one uh, to okay. be more precise. Yeah. but, but I, I'm sure I started with t- uh, with Java one dot three. Okay. Um, I mean, I wish I had uh, an age to be able to write code with Java one dot two or 1.1, one dot one, but I was too young.
0: Okay. So I didn't recognize that you are so young. So it's amazing. So I thought I saw that your LinkedIn It's like, you probably started with JDK 01 or something, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Almost. <laughs> almost.
0: And what's interesting to me, because uh, it's always interesting. Why you started with Java at all and not, let's say PHP? Why Java?
1: Um, okay. So the reality is it was not necessarily by choice, not because I wanted to learn Java. Um, at that time, I had the opportunity to work uh, in this project for the labor office as an intern, and I would learn programming. Right, um, there was uh, one of the uh, one of the engineers was actually a teacher uh, at the university, and he was basically teaching Java. He was learning Java and teaching Java at the same time, uh, and who was already way advanced uh um, in in java programming language and i thought hey man can you can you teach me this thing and uh i would love to help in this project and and was it necessarily by choice i think it was more like i saw an opportunity and i took it and i'm glad that i took it because uh considering the entire career path that i had uh i think that was the smartest choice yeah. uh, i've ever made
0: yeah uh, but it's really bad answer, you know, I would expect you would say something I was fascinated by that, and I was actually I liked the Duke or whatever, and, and now you're saying, okay, I just did it because
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know it's...
0: I had to <laughs> so okay. we should next... c- cut it out, you know, from our podcast
1: <laughs> all right, next next time, next time I'll paint it differently
0: for sure. <laughs> yeah, you should really call the section very good. Um, okay, so and um you are from Brazil, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. So and 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 the people from Brazil have special relation with Java. So it was uh, always noticeable a Java one. So if someone said Brazil, so this was a huge shouting. So they 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 liked I think Java because it was open source and somehow open, right? This is actually the the main I don't know popularity of Java in Brazil.
1: Yeah, there is a there was uh back then by by the time I think, if I remember correctly, it was Bruno Souza exactly. and the the group of So Java and some some engineers at some of the banks in Brazil who were using Java heavily. Uh, they made a huge push to Sun Microsystems uh, to open source Java, mm-hmm. and 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 not many people know, you know the 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 idea of open sourcing Java. It did come from Brazil, and okay, and 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 just just the idea, right? But not. It was sorry. It wasn't just the idea, but also the the market need. You know, as I said, banks in Brazil were uh, uh, wanted to see this because they had invested a lot. They wanted to make sure that their systems would be um, uh, future proof. And they made a huge push, together with Bruno Souza, um, to get this thing done. And Bruno advocated heavily, and he succeeded. So um, I think we should all thank um, Brazilians, uh, the Java community in Brazil, for um, the success of open source Java.
0: Yeah, Uh, this is what I noticed. They have very special relation with open source and Java, and Bruno Souza, of course. Uh, We have to thank him for, for lots of things. And uh, at Sun Microsystems back then, I think it was Rich Green, right, who then uh, moved the open sourcing forward of, of Java. So I remember some keynotes at Java One.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I don't have that part of okay. events in my mind, but I, I agree. I, I, think, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. So, and then you started with Oracle.
0: And uh, I remember the, we have lots of conversation about, uh, or lots some conversation about WebLogic and Java E. And I met you again last year at Oracle Code, which was an unusual conference for Oracle, naming something Code, <laughs> because usually <laughs> they were more like a business conferences. You know, you always make fun of it. It's like, okay, now uh, let's do some Oracle Code. So I met you in London. And you you and uh, Steve Chin, you had a great, um, how do how it's called it, a trailer for the conferences. So it was, I would say, a, quite a success. So in London was full... And uh, I was in Prague, but also very well received and attended. And then surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, you end up... <laughs> yeah, i I tell you why, unsurprisingly. You uh, you started at um, Microsoft. Um, and I actually was not surprised at all. And I can tell you why before you say anything. So for me, uh, is Microsoft right now very similar how Sun was, I would let's say, at the beginning of Java? It's like... Uh, so open company with lots of open source movement and, and experimentations, and you know, Visual Studio Code and Java in the clouds and Java evangelists at Microsoft. This is from the outside, outside a point of view. This is my perception of Microsoft right now. Is it somehow true or 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 isn't or
1: this is extremely true? Uh, I've been at the company for six months, and 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 first of all, I appreciate your comments. Uh, yeah, some. Uh, lots of folks got it surprisingly. Some folks, w- it, it was some folks had the moment of surprising uh, for a couple seconds, and then they had the moment, the aha moment. Ah, okay, not that surprising because you know when they when people see what Microsoft uh, is doing, um, it, it makes sense to have Java evangelists and 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 I wouldn't even say Java evangelists. I would say developer advocates because. Uh, for me, there is a slight difference uh, in there, and I can talk about that later. Uh, Microsoft does a lot of open source now. That that is absolutely true. It started uh, with with enabling open source on Azure. Uh, we saw SQL Server running on Linux. We saw uh, um, .NET being open sourced completely. Uh, at least, well, .NET Core uh, is completely open source net the full framework, some parts are still not. Um, but I think it's a, it's a journey for the group for that group. Uh, Visual Studio code, completely open source. Uh, many of the extensions that Microsoft writes for Visual Studio code are open source. Um, in terms of like Azure uh, engineering, lots and lots of stuff are being open source, including even Azure services. For example, Service Fabric, uh, it's an Azure offering and you can actually download the code from GitHub and you can run Service Fabric wherever you want. Uh, very, very much similar to OpenShift, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. So so open source uh, became part of the culture of the company. Um, I was surprised, I was last, last week, I was in Redmond and I had a meeting with a product. Listen, Listen to this. I had a meeting with a person who is responsible for Jenkins on Azure. Mm-hmm. And Jenkins is an open source project, and there is a person fully dedicated to manage documentation for Jenkins, partnership with CloudBees, uh, integration with different Azure services and Azure and, and Microsoft products, and all of that. There is a person fully dedicated to make sure it works well, and that is just to to uh, exemplify how much Microsoft cares about open source, how much Microsoft understands and see the importance of it. And and this person, I asked, okay, what is the roadmap for Jenkins on Azure? And then this person said, oh, just go to GitHub and you can see the roadmap over there. Oh, interesting. So basically the roadmap of everything Jenkins on Azure, anyone can see, comment, contribute, provide ideas, feedback, help prioritize and so on. That's just an example of how much uh, uh, the culture has changed towards open source and and for me that is amazing cuz java and open source are tied together extremely uh, well and for a long time and that won't change ever
0: but uh what we have to say is it uh it it only works because uh because the microsoft ceo just you know refactored everything and i think you can be only successful with open source because you Microsoft earns a lot of money with cloud services. So, I mean, it makes sense. So now it makes sense. You know, before, they earned money with Windows and Visual Studio. So it was a complete different company,
1: right? Um, I think for a cloud, it's not about making money by selling products, right? No, uh, services. Cloud, yeah, yeah cl- cloud business is about subscription. It's about um, uh, a stream of revenue and customers that trust the company, trust the product, and consume that product in a continuous basis.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, And and that requires a full shift in how the company operates, how the company does business. And for that, yes, you definitely need a leader that will say, guys, let's review the way we do things, and let's make sure that we are successful and our customers are successful on the long term. It's not just about... Here's a version of the product. Buy this version and and goodbye. Yeah. I think in the cloud business that relationship is constant. You have to always be there with your customers. And if the customer wants open source, we we need to give them open source. And we are doing that very successfully.
0: And um, it is hard to tell, but um, to, uh, to, to express that. But what I think about this is uh, what what companies should do. They um, the clients. Should be dependent on Microsoft services without being depending on them. so you should be dependent on the quality of the uh, of cloud services, but not depending on the apis, for instance. and this is why I think this is the way to go you know to to be as as, as open as possible and uh, the higher quality the better because if you deliver a good service, the, the, the clients will just stay with you and they will earn you money. So there is actually no need to introduce proprietary stuff, you know, just to make your clients depending on your, on, 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 your, um, on your products. And as you say, in long term, such a thing could win. And this reminds me again with the whole, you know, Java and Java E strategy. But the difference is back then, Sun didn't have any, you know, services in the clouds. They had the grid, but they were not able to sell it. So this was the problem
1: yeah it's a uh, the in the cloud business the way i see it um i think open open source uh is extremely important. open standards are nice but it, if you don't have an open source implementation what's the point of having an open standard yeah um so it, it it needs a balance but eventually companies uh and not not only microsoft uh but cloud vendors will eventually come up with services that are not easily exchangeable, not because they want not to be, but because the nature of the service does not allow. And in those services, I think there is still an opportunity for customers to take advantage, but not necessarily uh, be extremely locked in. And if the service provides value, that's great. Uh, if not, well, that's just business. And eventually, <clears throat> as, as the investments progress, I think... Um, there is always an opportunity to take something and make it open source. The reason I'm saying this is because, well, the reality is there are some services that are not based on open source. There are some services that don't have its engine open sourced and not only at Microsoft, but all the cloud vendors uh, suffer from this. But I think eventually customers will realize uh, and the vendors will realize open source is important and, and it's just a matter of time. So I'm very positive about it and I agree with you. Uh, The customers uh, will always prefer to invest in technologies that they can trust the vendor based on the quality, on the customer service, maybe on the price, maybe on the price, and and, and for sure the ecosystem and integrations that that vendor provides on top of that open source technology. And trust.
0: And and trust. trust. Yeah, trust is very important.
1: Absolutely. And trust. So... If those checkpoints are marked, I think that vendor is successful, the customers of that vendor will be successful, and and the industry will thrive um, as we always uh, want it to be.
0: How long you are at Microsoft? Half a year?
1: Half a year. That's right. Six months. Yeah, this is remarkable because uh, I have
0: now an email from you. This is uh, April the 23rd. With a one-liner, hi, Microsoft would like to join the Jakarta e Working Group as a participant member. Best regards, Bruno Borges.
1: <laughs> yes, that is right.
0: Cool. That was was like, it your idea? Much,
1: uh, I think I think the idea here um, is really to uh, be part of the conversation. First mm-hmm. of all, uh, we want to follow uh, what is going on mm-hmm. and be able to help where we can help right away. So for Jakarta EE, uh, initially we have uh, one person from our marketing group uh, in the marketing in the marketing committee of Jakarta EE to help uh, drive uh, that effort, the message out. But not just that. On the engineering side, we are in conversation with in conversations with uh, some of the vendors um, in trying to identify ways that we can contribute uh, even further. Um, to ensure two things: one, Jakarta EE is successful, and two, Jakarta EE is successful on Azure, because we do have customers that have made huge investments in the platform, uh, in the Java EE platform, and we want to make sure that these customers uh, are successful on Azure with their previous choice. And that requires participation, and that's what we want to do.
0: Exactly. So I have also such customers which are extremely interested in Asia and ask me you know, whether Java or Jakarta would work on Asia. Say, so sure. It's not directly supported right now, but Kubernetes and Docker is, so we could actually run whatever we like.
1: Exactly. Yeah. On and it's note, just
0: on that note, oh. what I think is, um, which I always wondered why Sun or Oracle never did it actually. If you if you consider, I would say a pragmatic part of Java E. Let's say we have just servlets uh, or servlet JSPs, forget it about so it REST services or Jax RS. Jax RS, let's say CDI, some transactions, not to mention EGBs. I would put EGBs, but if you don't like, then don't use EGBs, you could do a little bit CDI. JPA probably not always necessary, but you have, I think, CosmoDB and you have even JDBC drivers, so you could even use uh, JPA. And what you could do then is um, you could make the application server invisible. Let's say we have like, you know, Asia service and behind the scenes you would get Tommy, Payara or whatever. And um, then I would just ship a war and uh, then you care about, you know, running the application. So it's like, you know, like OpenShift or Fabric in the cloud. And this is not far, not far away from function as a service, right? So The only difference to me is that the function as a service is just one endpoint and not five. And um, I think this should fly. I mean, um, this is a little bit problematic with developers because this would be the most boring technology ever because you just focus on business logic and there were no way to experiment. But to get something done, this could be a good idea, right?
1: Um. It is a great idea. Uh, I think in the, mm-hmm. even from the beginning or not necessarily from the beginning, but uh, when when Java EE became extremely popular, uh, we always had these wish of writing some piece of Java EE code and just deploy anywhere. And and at that time, uh, most developers didn't have access to application servers. They would just ship the war file or the ER file to someone that would eventually deploy that so <laughs> i could say that people were already doing serverless uh, development at that time because here's my code just run it right exactly that was, exactly yeah uh, the model but uh i think i think java ee as a platform and and that's where i hope jakarta EE uh fixes there, there are too many blank spaces in the specifications and the way the runtimes are implemented uh and and just and, and I'm talking only about the runtime. Um, if if we think close to uh, if you, if we look closely to how developers work with Java EE, the developer experience is very different between the different implementations. Maybe uh, plugins are not consistent. IDE support is not consistent. Uh, templates and so on. Um, I think I think there's a lot of uh, space for normalizing how people do Java EE, or hopefully in the future, Jakarta EE development. Um, Tooling support, making sure that my runtime uh, differentiates with the other runtime with the competitor runtime based on the same criteria that we established uh, just minutes ago on cloud services, um, based on quality, trust, uh, customer service, and not necessarily on features. I think if Jakarta EE can succeed on that, I think it will thrive even as a serverless platform for Java uh, applications. Um, I think my point is there is a there is a lot of opportunity for Jakarta EE to become that um, and I think it's already possible today if we look at microprofile and how uh, people can deploy microprofile applications, I think it's doable. Uh, just requires someone to step up and you know, build something uh using the existing technologies and then maybe innovate you know, on top of that.
0: Yeah. Um why why I still stick with Java E because I do Java as long as you do, a little bit longer, but uh I'm actually I, I find the whole experiments at the beginning of the project, you know, picking the best of breed framework, whatever, I would have to say extremely boring. At the end of the day it would be probably two percent faster or slower, and, and and if you exaggerate, you 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 create a unique snowflake which uh, will uh, only work in your environment, and no one will know how it actually was glued together. And with Java E, it's very similar to open source because uh, you have always the same APIs. Your, your source code looks complete, always the same, and this is pretty portable between application servers. So we have uh, uh, Open Liberty, Wildfly, Payara. And Tommy and the source code is portable between the runtimes. Um, the only problem is of course the persistence if you use specific Hibernate or Eclipse Link stuff, but from the from all, everything else works really well. And um and this is why I have the I have the hope that instead, you know, creating all the runtime over and over again, uh, cloud vendors will say, Look, we implement this is the base, is like our business operating system. Just put your war and behind your scenes you know the kubernetes or whatever will kick in and just distribute everything this would be the next step it was like you know it was like the facade to serverless something like this and um yeah this is what uh, what i always found interesting that, that that this was somehow ignored and 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 probably because, as you said, the old templates and the frameworks, what I actually do in project is I delete all the crap. so, in most projects, we don't have not even a maven plugin. We just have one dependency, a simple maven build, and this is crazy fast, and now it comes. The startups love it, so if I show this the startup how efficient it is, they really love it because they are productive with it and seasoned Java e developers hate it because there is nothing else to do you know you you can you start your project and from day one from the first minute. You have focus on business logic. This is the problem.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I think serverless platform, the, the, the most interesting thing about serverless platforms is the ability of writing piece of code that will be triggered based on events. Yeah. Um, and that logic, uh, you can literally focus on the logic. I mean, it's like ETL systems. That's great. Messaging systems. That's great. Even database events or triggers <laughs> you know in the past you would write a trigger and appeal SQL yeah you maybe maybe you want to uh, or you could scale better if you had that trigger uh, depending on the use case of course sometimes the use case for database triggers is actually I need fast access to the data, so that's better to be located in the database but if if the, the companies want to standardize or just want to focus the key use cases to a serverless platform that that model is extremely fascinating, um, and it scales really well—not just technically but economically. Um, for Java EE, for Jakarta EE, the model is there already. I think it's just the uh, I think what's what's lacking, and what what was always lacking in the Java EE platform, was proper marketing and messaging of yeah. uh, the capabilities of the platform, what could be done with it, and in, in 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 the productization of the platform, how how to shape the platform in a way that people can see, huh, this is an interesting technology, this is an interesting product that I can actually invest and implement this, 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 and this use case. So maybe, maybe Jakarta E now is the best place to deliver that message. And I'm happy that we have a person in marketing uh, contributing to it. And uh I'll I'll make sure that I'm I have a close look on that.
0: Cool. And uh, even Jakarta and Microprofile, they a little bit independent, but I have even more hope with Microprofile because they are extremely fast. They delivered uh, four releases in 2017, and they do really pragmatic stuff, like, you know, liveness uh, and, and readiness probes with health, metrics, and uh, configuration, open API for Swagger. And, and I ignored Microprofile for a long time until I saw – this was actually interesting – that Pyara 5, the stock server and Open Liberty, they are shipping the Java E8 stuff plus microprofile, which is great. So what it actually means? You can use you know the Java E8 basic stuff plus the microprofile goodness, without you know being forced to use completely different runtime. Huh? This is, this is this what I do, and this just takes off. So if you have Java 8 app, let's say CRUD, you put a metered annotation, a single annotation on a method, and you get, uh, and you get uh, Prometheus integration for free. So if you are running on, on OpenShift or your Microsoft Fabric, and uh, you can configure your system with uh, environment entries, you say config property, name, and you are configured. So this is, this is e- extremely productive. And the cool story is for clouds. Because uh, we have a docker-like environment, the wars, which we ship, are tiny. So no kidding. So in most of my projects, the the wars are 300 kilobytes because they only comprise business logic. There's just business logic inside. There is no infrastructure. So, you know, pushing this to the clouds is extremely fast because… In the private Docker registry, in the clouds, we already have the runtime. So this is our runtime, but we just you know, push it every few months. And what we are shipping 50 times a day is a tiny war, which is crazy fast. This is actually the most productive environment I saw, per accident, because we have the deployment model. You know,
1: <laughs> you know what would be super cool to see? Like a, a bandwidth benchmark. How much bandwidth does it cost? to ship microprofile applications in a cloud environment, fair, but still, uh, let's say we do 50 deployments per day or even about 48 deployments per day, every, uh, a deployment every 30 minutes. And how much bandwidth does that cost? Considering the, the runtime image is already on the registry, but you have to build your project and then ship that to your pipeline and then to production how much bandwidth does that cost compared? Maybe, not necessarily, maybe we don't need to compare, but uh, with traditional Java EE um, um, Docker images, where the runtime goes with the image every time versus uh, taking advantage of the existing image, the the base image on the registry. I think that comparison would be interesting because you could also compare that with other technologies, but I think the point make, being made here is What is the best practice for uh, deploying applications in a Docker environment?
0: Actually, all cloud-native projects, we did it that way, that the uh, runtime was already in the clouds, and we just always ship just the war. Um, On my blog, there is an interview with a startup managing taxi companies with thin wars in Like uh, One of my, my attendees created something aside, and I asked him about the size, and it says... Five max is the whole war with Vardin and, their, and, and the UI, which it doesn't actually count, but around 800K of the total size is my code. So the business logic comprises 800K. So if this would be a, no, a JavaScript app, the war would be 800K. And I have interviews with uh, banks, there's around 300K. So usually my war is way smaller than one Mac. And if you push it 50 times a day, so you push at most 40 max. and this is... Crazy fast, so I'm, I don't even care about the bandwidth. What I care about is the developer experience, because I say Docker push, and this is I, I did the experiments with Oracle Cloud and with Amazon Cloud, and I will do it with Asia if you like. Um, we can we can prepare something, but yeah, for uh, sure. yeah. So I have on my YouTube channel. So what's only lacking is uh, Microsoft actually, and um, and uh, this is actually the huge added value. Because of the immutable structure of Docker, because the the top most the top uh, layer is your war, and everything else is on the server, and only changes if we get new release of the runtime. And if the runtime would uh, would you know uh, be already on Asia, let's say you will you will commit to a Java eight runtime, let's say Tommy Payara or whatever Open Liberty, then there will be nothing more to 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 update. And this is what I'm talking about. This is like you know serverless on steroids. Hmm. I actually compared it with different platforms with different uh, serverless platforms and they were a way the 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 function on that platform was way larger than the entire war of my java app.
1: Do you when when you push your application. So here's here's a question for you. Yes. When when you When you have to build the application the Docker image from your Jenkins environment, for example that that image needs to be based on the image that is in the registry, right so yes and we um,
0: have the, the registry is layered, so the first image is this operating system in Java, then the application server inherits from the top image, and my project specific configuration inherits from the application server image. And then, and then this is static. And then what I do fifty times a day, my war is just one liner, and then it inherits from the uh, from the configura- project specific configuration. And this is crazy fast. So the build, you can go to my YouTube channel. It, it, it takes Maven build plus, plus Docker build takes around three seconds at most.
1: And 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 I assume that in the in the build machine. Uh, you have uh, that layer already downloaded, right? So you don't you yeah. don't need to spend that time all, every time. So no. interesting. It, wow. It, okay. It,
0: this is already downloaded, and not only this; it only changes every three months. And if you are curious, go to my GitHub account. The project name is Docklands, and this is actually this has Docker images for all application services at five, four or five years old. And if I do something on conferences, I is usually based on Docklands. So this is exactly the structure there.
1: I think I, I think I've seen this project before. Yeah, I think I contributed even to it on the WebLogic stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I tested your WebLogic image,
1: exactly. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. How 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 we went full cycle here? Yeah, perfect.
0: So this is because <laughs> we prepared. You know, this is the hours of preparation paid off before the podcast.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. That's the that's the interesting thing about these industries. Sometimes we do things because we think, oh, this is cool this and and this will help me with this particular use case but then suddenly that becomes the foundation for many other ideas um that people can leverage for their use cases and i think this docker thing uh, is just proof of that 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 life cycle in our industry Uh, very interesting to see that
0: and and therefore I, i never saw the point And I don't understand Uber jars, super jars, or whatever to call it. In in my eyes, in cloud environment, they do not make any sense. Because you're building 50 times a day, the whole runtime, plus plus the business logic, also only a fraction changes. So it doesn't make any sense to me. But no one could explain why. But um, yeah, I got one explanation and DevOps in Antwerp. And uh, a company told me they started before Docker, and this was uh, they, they they planned to to ship it on, on bare metal machines, and this makes sense to me. But in a cloud environment, it doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, it's uh, even in the past, right? I mean, technically, um, um, you could still do uh, the 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 thing that you have here with the layered images. In the past, you could still do that with versionized uh, class paths, uh, uh, um, folders, uh, you could, you could literally, I- I've seen this, you would go into a server and you would see like, like, instead of Docker image version X, you would have a class path folder version X. And then people would ship the jar file with only the application code. And then, uh, on the, on the shell script, uh, you would have this metadata. I'd say like, okay, my application, my jar file, which is like 30 K, um and to run this application, it requires it has a dependency on this class path folder version X. Yes. Which contains all the libraries. So I've seen in the past people doing what you do with Docker here, uh just not an extremely nice way, but exactly. um the idea was there. So um the fat jar, the Uber jar, I think it it just simplifies a lot. Of things from um, the developer perspective, and the, it it reduces the stress on the communication between the developer and the operations team. Uh, it just makes it easier, right? So here's my application. Boom, just just run it, and yep. there's no need for metadata, no need for class path, no need for this or that. It's just yep. like here's my application. So. Yep. So the Docker it,
0: container for me is like, you know, the Docker image is like the ultimate ear. No one cares what's inside. I'm just using application servers because they are small and extremely productive and no one cares what's inside. So this is the yeah, difference.
1: Yeah, that that makes total sense, you know. And uh, I think even for the projects that advocate for the Uber jar, I think there is an opportunity for them to, to. Um, to implement the same concept, you know, based on, for example, based on the POM file of a Maven project on the dependencies, you you ship, a, you build a, a base Docker image uh, with that dependency tree, and then you release your JAR file that does not contain all the libraries. I think but, it's doable, uh, just requires some effort.
0: But there is another benefit of Java E. So uh, we only have one dependency or two. So in my modern project, as a newer project, I have one dependency to Java 8 API a one dependency to microprofile API, and both are provided. And because Jakarta or Java are complete APIs, there is no twiddling. So I just ship it that way. It never changes. So it means my microservice in Java, e, my setup is always around 60 lines of POM code at most. And there are no super poems, no dependency management. Is that simple. And uh, this is another thing. This is like, you know, you can start with Java E in five seconds. And this is the right way to go. There's not even plugins needed. And, um, yeah, this is what you should investigate. Because I think, done it right, and rename it not to Jakarta E, right, Cloud E or whatever, but this this would take off. This has to take off because it's all lean.
1: Do you... Um... Do you see uh, an increased number of libraries around Jakarta EE in the future? For example, I uh, I was looking at microprofile APIs, uh, and uh, uh, Jonathan Giles on my team he he implemented a config source. I saw
0: that uh, yeah.
1: for Azure Key Vault. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to understand, though, if, if yes, MicroProfile, EE they come with this, uh, this set of APIs that implement uh, the most common use cases and needs of an enterprise application. But eventually, in the real world, you have to integrate your application with some service. Um, and, and this is a, the clear example of Key Vault. Um, but I'm pretty sure other examples will surface uh, in the short term. 't are, aren't we going to see uh, Java or Jakarta EE projects or microprofile projects increasing the number of dependencies on, on artifacts outside um, the, the basic platform APIs? If so,
0: they would be domain specific or, or business specific. Um, I, I would say what what's, for instance, I'll give you an example. What's um what's often needed is single sign-on on security, which is not part of Java yet. So it is in Java 8, but uh, uh not official. And uh with micro profile, for instance, right? So you can um you can you can uh, without any dependency, you can authenticate with JSON Web Token. And uh recently for one of my clients, I implement solution where without any dependencies, the micro profile creates uh, principles and roles <clears throat> in Java e but it communicates this was on payara project payara 5 uh which communicates with keycloak running on WhiteFly without any keycloak dependency and the original idea was from keycloak you know to take keycloak specific adapters what i didn't like at all because my client would be depending on specific keycloak library not only my client all microservices from my client and what do you use instead we based on standard because keycloak um um implements OAuth 2, and we need OAuth 2. So I think in 80% of all cases, you can throw away things. Actually, a huge portion of my assignments and projects is deleting stuff. As all my clients, they had really problems with complexity, over-complex builds, and over-modularization. And what I do is I just simplify and delete stuff. And uh, my clients are really thankful. And in in, um, Greenfield projects, we start simple and developers lo- really love it i don't know whether you know there is in germany a magazine called spiegel spiegel online and spiegel is like uh, new york times no yeah new york yeah. Times, something like this yeah. okay and, and um, they asked me about uh, java e support because they knew me for i don't know 5 to 10, 10 uh, years and um, and i came in and the developer had no idea about java e. And after half a year, they are extremely successful with monitoring everything. And the, what the developers did, they were very, very particular about dependencies. So they had to say at, the be- at every iteration, okay, can we delete this? Can we delete this? What we can simplify? And uh, I'm interviewing them right now, and they will send me the interview question we'll publish on my blog. But the point is, they said to me, they are extremely pleased how simple there is that they can fully focus on business logic. So what I observed: all integrations can be mostly done by REST. So, for, last, for instance, Elasticsearch—you could, you know, if you you can just take your REST API and call Elasticsearch, or you can of course use Elasticsearch libraries, they written in Java, which behind the scenes called it via REST. So uh, I think the REST and HTTP in JSON is the new integration protocol, and um, and this is of this is not always true, but as I said, in eighty percent of all cases, we built crazy. Complex Java e applications without a single external dependency.
1: And is it um, that that is cool uh, in a sense? But how much effort does it take to identify a solution that does not depend on anything? Ah, uh,
0: I don't think a lot of effort. You Just take a look at, at all the. This is just you need a specific mindset. What I see, what the developers do. So we have in Germany, Java Magazine and Java Spectrums so are like Java magazines. And what the developers do, they read that and say, oh, uh, now we have reactive programming. So how to you know integrate reactive programming with Java E? And they just would like to do this without any reasons. And, and then it escalates. So I, I give you an example, no kidding. So um, I, I got a contract to review three, wait a second. I forgot the number. Three to five microservices. <laughs> Something like this. It was wars. How many Maven modules they built for five wars? So five
1: wars, five independent microservices. Say a number. Um, how many modules on... on? Okay, so here's the question. Let me just recap the question. Uh, the company does five wars. How many Maven modules they use to, yes, to, to, have, five to wars. end up with... Um, my guess is one, one hundred twenty.
0: <laughs> I had to review one hundred twenty Maven modules, and uh, and I would implement five, five wars. And this was a typical Java project, and it escalated because they uh, they were extremely unproductive. And you now,
1: know, there is a lot. Yeah, there there is a law in IT. S- simple systems will eventually become complex systems.
0: Yes. And with my strategy, you should, you know, we try at least postpone that, that, you know, as 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 far as possible, delete as much as possible. But this is what I would like to tell you that actually that the mindset should be keep simp- systems simple, and clouds could you help with that? Because if on Microsoft Asia, you could say we only have, you know, this five APIs that is self constraining done, and then eighty percent of a project could use it, and if you need an external a- API you could use it but uh, in 80% of all projects they don't have to use it right and this works great in my world and i'm just wondering myself why it does not happen in larger scale you know
1: yeah i think it's just a lack of awareness just lack of of people knowing how to do things right i mean in in our industry uh, there's so many ways to do things yeah. so many technologies to choose from and so many different opinions and 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 ideas that uh, in most cases people will implement things with their existing knowledge and their existing opinions and very few people will will look around uh, whenever they have a new project to build they will hardly look around to see new ways of of doing the same thing you know so that's why we end up with this with these projects that are massive, uh, uh, that contains massive design problems, not only on the architecture of the system, but also in the way that the project is managed from the source code to the CI/CD configuration to the way the artifacts are managed and the dependencies are managed and so on. So I think it's uh, just a lack of awareness. And frankly, uh, we should not judge because in the end, uh, oh, these developers, they always have a deadline. They always have pressure. They always have, you know, just get it done. And and I think that goes back to the beauty of Java EE platform. You know, it simplifies a lot of the choices. Uh, it simplifies a lot of the way that people do things. And maybe, maybe it's a feedback to the Jakarta EE committee, you know, how we can have Jakarta EE deliver an opinionated development process. Uh, from source management to CI/CD to to deployment to production, uh, how can we have a consistent story, a consistent message in that flow that works with any uh, implementation of the platform? Um, and and I go back goes back to the example of the Maven plugins. You know, how can we have Maven plugins that are consistent? You know what? I would love to see one single Maven plugin where the implementation of the the API uh, is a configuration of the Maven plugin. Instead of using different plugins based on implementation, I just want to use the Jakarta EE plugin, and then I would choose my implementation. So, I think I, I think the the platform continues to have this opportunity, and I think we should all take it.
0: What What is your next mission at Microsoft? So, what
1: are you doing right now, and
0: what do you plan to do?
1: Um. So. In the short term, we are, you know, it's uh, it's conference season, right? It's like September, October, November. It's conference season, especially in Europe, and uh, we we have some engagements to do. That's just in the short term, but um, our advocacy is actually internal. Uh, it's making sure that the Azure service teams deliver uh, an excellent uh, platform for Java developers. Um, Azure has uh, a great story with any developer um, in any operating system you know pretty much half of the VMs on Azure are Linux based and and as we as we know java developers prefer to run server side applications on linux environments which is totally fair and and I see there an opportunity to to share that message broadly and that is part of our story okay. for For the advocacy, uh, there are some items like uh, ensure, uh, we want to ensure that the Java SDKs of Azure services are consistent, are well-produced, well-documented, available in Maven Central, available on GitHub, um, and so on. And also that they work together when you combine them in one single project. uh, Because the worst thing that could happen is having two Java SDKs with different versions of log4j. So we want to make sure that the the dependency tree of of the SDKs are also consistent, uh, is also consistent. Um, For some services that we provide runtime, Java runtime, there are two of them right now. One is uh, Azure Functions, our serverless platform. So um, you bring uh, your jar file and we uh, spin up a JVM for you um, as part of our serverless runtime. And we choose which JVM. And I think right now we we are using Azul Systems JVM. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Zulu. Um, the other service that we have that comes with the Java runtime is Azure App Service. So again, you sh- simply ship your WAR file or JAR file, and we run the we provide the runtime. And you can choose which runtime you wanna you wanna deploy. It's a uh, you have the choices of Oracle JDK 8. You have a Zool Systems JDK 8. And I think there is Java 7 as well um, from both options, from both vendors. And on top of that, uh, if you need a web uh, servlet container, uh, we provide Tomcat and I think Jetty. So you can also, you can also choose that. We are still working on on evaluating Jakarta EE and Java EE runtimes, and also MicroProfile runtimes. As I understand, MicroProfile is not exactly Tomcat, so it does implement other APIs that a Servlet container does not. So um, we are looking into that as well.
0: Yeah, take a look at Payara Five stock. You don't you even have to look at uh, Micro. It has uh, Java Eight and MicroProfile and Open Liberty. It's also interesting. And because you have Tomcat, there is a Tommy, which is just a war in a Tomcat, and you get a Java E7 plus support.
1: Yeah, we are evaluating all the uh, the, the, the core options. Uh, we are, um, we are, that's why I'm, I've been blogging uh, about Pyara uh, as a, a, an option for microprofile implementation, because we are evaluating that. Uh, we have done evaluations uh, with Tommy. Uh, and open liberty uh still in the queue but i think once we, we, we find one that satisfies we might stop there uh because you know time is not uh uh forever yeah. <laughs> we cannot spend time forever in, in doing this uh work um and i hope i hope we can um, share more details uh either later this year or early next year uh on on supporting this new um enterprise um, environments.
0: Yeah, this would be nice, and um, I would like really to evaluate that to push something to you know to give you a feedback whether it is fast enough and you know productive enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's today you already can run right you, uh, as you said in the beginning. You can you can bring uh, Docker containers to Kubernetes. Uh, we have a service that we like to say it's a serverless Docker environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Azure Container Instances, and basically. Basically, it's a it's a it's a cloud version of Docker Run. You 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 say, "Hey, Azure Container Instance, run this image for me," and it provides you a DNS, it provides you an endpoint, and you can have a web application up and running in seconds or a couple minutes. This is interesting, so I would try that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's super cool. You should definitely try it. Uh, there is a an article uh, I'll share with you, and maybe you can link from this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, Uh, two articles that um, push Docker image using microprofile applications to Azure in two different ways. One is on top of Azure App Service that supports custom Docker images um, on top of the the provided runtimes that I mentioned before. But there is Azure Container Instance that allows you to uh, do that, just Docker run my image. Um, and Kubernetes service, I'll, I'll leave it there because once people understand Kubernetes runs Docker, you can run whatever you want inside a Docker container. So I'll send you those two links for sure. Uh, I think they are very worth uh, um, trying on Azure. On that note,
0: where people can find you on the internet and uh, about the Azure resources, whatever you'd like to you know to share right now.
1: Um. Two, uh, there are three ways to find me. One is my email. So it's, it's bruno.borgers at microsoft.com. Feel free to send an email with some questions, clarifications, ideas, feedback, rents. Feel free to do whatever you want. Just don't send me spam. I appreciate that. Um, for more real-time conversation, if you, if you think that is what it please you, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's Bruno Borgers. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I also like to talk to people over LinkedIn because uh, it is a more professional uh, work environment, social network, and um, to discuss technical things, to to discuss use cases, maybe a customer visit. I think uh, that can be a great platform for that. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you just search for Bruno Borges, Microsoft. You should find me over there.
0: Yeah, Perfect. So, Bruno, thank you for the interview. And in one point in time, let's say next year, if your Jakarta EE is everywhere in Microsoft, on Microsoft Clouds, um, we should talk, talk again
1: about that. We should definitely do so. Yes, absolutely. So, thank you. And thank you for having me. Appreciate it.